welcome to Michigan Opera Theater's Opera Here podcast. My name is Austin Stewart with the Michigan Opera Theater. This Opera Here podcast is here to give you the inside scoop of the opera production scene on stage at Michigan Opera Theater, to dive into some of the stories, get to know the characters, and learn a little bit about what happens behind the scenes with some guest artists that visit us here in the studio. We're thankful to WDET and to Jake Neer for their help in producing the Opera Here podcast along with Michigan Opera Theater. Today we're discussing The Summer King, a new opera by American composer Daniel Sonnenberg, which takes us into the life of Negro League's baseball legend Josh Gibson, considered one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Josh Gibson was born on December 21, 1911 in Georgia, and moved to Pittsburgh in the 1920s. By age 18, he was playing professional baseball for both the Crawfords and the Homestead Grays in the Negro Leagues. Much has been written about the life of Josh Gibson, an entry in the Encyclopedia Britannica, stories on ESPN, documentaries, articles by the Society for American Baseball Research, but Daniel Sonnenberg's opera The Summer King, The Josh Gibson Story, delves deeply into the tragedy of a great athlete who was born at a pivotal time in American history. Because of his exceptional play, he was a catalyst for change, making it possible for Jackie Robinson to break the color barrier. Josh excelled in spite of his circumstances. He dealt with the sorrow of losing his wife in childbirth, the pain of being away from his children much of the time, the death of his father, and the suffering from a brain tumor that ultimately ended his career in life. Josh Gibson remained a man committed to being the best ball player he could be in the league in which he played, and baseball historians consider him to be among the very best hitters and catchers ever. He died before Major League Baseball became integrated, but he was finally inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1972. It's a story of talent, heartbreak, and one man's journey to overcome prejudice and discrimination. Michigan Opera Theater is proud to present this groundbreaking new work co-produced with the Pittsburgh Opera. Join us at the Detroit Opera House, the David D. Chiara Center for the Performing Arts, May 12th through May 20th, 2018, and witness baseball history made on the opera stage. I'm joined in the studio today by Mr. Gary Gillette. Welcome, Gary. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And Miss Jacqueline Eccles. Hello. Jacqueline is a soprano, a native Detroiter, who is singing the role of Helen Gibson in The Summer King, Josh Gibson's wife. Uh, she's been seen on the stages of Washington National Opera, has made great successes with Mikaela in George Bizet's Carmen, all over the country singing Musetta and in La Boheme and Violetta in Traviata. We're so proud of Jacqueline and all that she's done to represent Detroit on opera stages across the country. Thank you for being here, Jacqueline. Happy to be here. Thank you. Mr. Gary Gillette is the mm. president and founder of the Friends of the Historic Hamtramck Stadium, working to preserve the beautiful Hamtramck Stadium, one of the homes of the Negro Leagues right here in our very own city, and is also a member of the Society of American Baseball Research. It's a bunch of geeks. We're trying to get out of the geek geek image. That sounds pretty cool. A little I, bit I successfully lately. You must all have incredible encyclopedic minds. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. Some I often carry to excess, you know, torturing people with trivia. I try not to do that. I like to focus on the history. The statistics to me are interesting only as they help you understand the history 
and the players and the events, not as an end in themselves. Uh, I've, I've heard you speak a few times already, and you have a, a way of contextualizing even the statistical information yeah. in a great historic light. So. Part of being around so long that they're, you know, that they're about to grab me and take me off the stage and put me in an old folks' home. <laughs> I would like to begin today, Gary, just by asking you to cover a little bit of historical terrain with us. If we would just address who Josh Gibson was and why his story is so ripe for an operatic setting. Josh Gibson was one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived. He's one of the two or three greatest Negro League players who ever lived, but his greatness transcended the Negro Leagues, even though he never got a chance to play in the major leagues, the white major leagues, because of discrimination. Tragically, Josh died a few months before Jackie Robinson made his debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers in April 1947, which Josh might have had that opportunity if he had not been ill and not been so farther into his career than Jackie Robinson was. Many people think that Josh Gibson died of a broken heart because he didn't get the opportunity. He was a greater ball player than Jackie Robinson, which is no criticism of Robinson. Robinson was a Hall of Famer. It's just Gibson was one of the best baseball players who ever walked the planet. Gibson was a catcher for most of his career in the Negro Leagues. He started with a semi-pro team in Pittsburgh in the uh, late 20s. And in 1930, he started playing professional ball. His career lasted until 1946. He died of a brain tumor uh, or complications related to a brain tumor. For the last couple of years, his physical problems somewhat diminished his greatness, although he could still slug the ball. He is a legend both in his own time and since then for hitting many tape measure home runs. He hit more home runs than anybody else. He hit tape measure home runs, and he hit for high average. Uh, the only Negro leaguer who was as great a home run hitter would be Detroit's own Turkey Stearns, who had more career home runs than Josh Gibson. But Josh is considered the greatest slugger in the Negro Leagues. Uh, Josh's story is poignant because it talks about segregation in American life, segregation in baseball, the national pastime, and it talks about how he was just too early to get the chance that Jackie Robinson did to show the world how great black players were and how they could take the same field with white players and beat them at their own game. It's also tragic because he died just before baseball was reintegrated in 1947. I would just say that this is one of the rare opportunities to see great art and baseball together. Baseball has been the national pastime. It was acknowledged as a national pastime in the 1850s. So you have plenty of art about baseball, ranging from stuff like Casey at the Bat to many great works of fiction and nonfiction to movies, to plays. I've seen a lot of them. Most of them are more interesting for the baseball content than for the art, although there are some great ones. But this is, this is something you don't get to see, an opera about baseball written by someone who knows the game and apparently knows art, knows opera, although my counterpart here is better equipped to uh, judge that. Uh, <laughs> Jacqueline, this is a homecoming for you. This is this, a homecoming for me. Uh, I'm so excited to see all of my old friends. And all of your old, and your whole family is going to be in the audience. Entire family is going to be in the audience. That's wonderful. <laughs> so talk about this role specifically. Um, you know, the support of such an iconic individual as Josh Gibson. And, you know, we don't all that often get to think about, you know, the interior, the personal lives of these of great heroic figures. 
Um, so what has it been like to work on the role of Helen Gibson, bringing that to Michigan Opera Theater? Would you just talk about that experience a bit? Sure. I'm, I'm glad you said that not too many people really get a chance to see, you know, their personal lives. And I'm very, very happy that Daniel put the story together and he didn't leave out, you know, the intimate details between Helen and Josh. The way we discussed it, they were young. They were in love. I mean, Josh was like head over heels for Helen. It was Helen first and then it was baseball. Those were his loves. Just a few minutes into um, the opera, you see how the very beginning of his life is played out. He's happy. He's he's just ec- ecstatic about life. He loves life. He loves baseball. But the most important thing was that girl, Helen. They're married, and uh, he's dreaming. And he's 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 speaking about their life together. It's, it's a picnic scene. Right? It's a picnic scene, and he's kind of laying out life as he imagines it yes for them, he's yeah? he's laying out the life it's like you know he's dreaming about having such a wonderful life with with helen and then she reveals to him that she is pregnant with their first child now he's saying okay well now we have one more to think about and now we really can dream and i mean this is the happiest time of his life It goes on, and they did have twins, but something happened, and she didn't survive. So that was very heartbreaking. And, uh, of course, my time on stage is not very long. <laughs> I come, I laugh, I sing, and all of those things, and dream, and and then the story moves on very quickly. But you, you reappear. So you, I you, do. you pass away in the first act. I do. But you have another appearance in the second act. I Tell us about that scene. I have another appearance, sort of like him hallucinating or dreaming. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees a vision of his wife and she revisits him. And, and this is right before he passes. Um, she revisits him and she sings the exact same duet that was in the first act. So that's going to be lovely and sweet Beautiful moment. and kind of ghostly. Yeah. <laughs> kind of ghostly. Is this your first time playing a ghost? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Right at the very beginning, 
Um, well, yeah, sort of like right at the very beginning, um, where they have the barbershop saying they're talking about who's the greatest player, who did this and who did that, and Josh's name comes up as the one who hit the ball way out of the ballpark. And then he's he's shown on the stage swinging the bat there in their gray uniform. Really, the, the set, the set is beautiful. It really is. It's a baseball stand, baseball uh, stadium, and... And you have like the diamond, and, and some people were like, "Well, how are you going to pull that off? <laughs> Is he going to really hit a ball, or <laughs> it's not going to go, you know, into the orchestra pit?" No, 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 no. It's it's really strategically done, really nicely. And he's there with his players. They're playing. They're kind of tossing the ball around and whatnot. They're also miming a little bit, you know, just hitting the ball. So the first number that you're talking about uh, that, that takes place in the barbershop, about 10 years or so after Josh Gibson has died, um, it sets this story. It yes. sets this scene for this myth of this great ball player. Uh, and that's, you know, the scene that starts off, did you see Jackie Robinson hit that ball? And then the older barber in the shop kind of goes, well, Jackie Gibson, who's he, you know? And he goes on to tell the story about Josh Gibson, and that's how we kind of get into this story of, of Josh's life. Um, in this first scene with Helen, uh, imagining their lives together, his, his new successes as a, as a baseball player and what that means for them for stability and... Imagining right, the life that right. they can have. Um, the new successes of his of his career was something that he was really happy about, and you know he was thinking about just think you know, just up in big letters, you know, in the sky, written in the sky, Josh Gibson, Helen Gibson, you know, and he was also talking about you know the life of being a baseball player and and reminiscing on just great times, but he's uh, dreaming about you know, a long life with Helen. You know, this is this is our life, and I'm just happy to share it with you. The love, the intimacy, the tenderness that they they have, that's something really, really special that you can you get to see that tenderness of of Josh after she passes, after she loses her life, after she's given birth to her ch- children. You know, then you don't see that sparkle in his eye as much anymore. The the, the sparkle in his eye, of course, is with with baseball, but he, it's still something empty. You can tell how very empty he is, uh, which is what you'll see when you watch the rest of the story unfold. I love how it puts the history of Josh, the myth of Josh, mm-hmm. into this. You know, it's after his death. There's kind of this, you know, let me tell you about the greatest baseball player that I ever saw. Yeah. You know, kind of reliving his his glory. Um, and so they actually bring up in the context of the, the very first scene of the opera, Gary, they bring up the legend of Josh hitting it out of Yankee Stadium. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that you, you probably thought that I would bring this up at one point or another since it's the greatest legend attributed to Josh mm-hmm. Gibson. But t- tell there us. There are a- legends you wouldn't believe that are attributed to him, including one that he had a home run in Cuba more than 700 feet. Uh, wow. Now, that wouldn't have been in a 
official league game? I mean, normally you count records that are in official games differently than records in any other kind of game. But yeah, he is reported to have hit a home run out of Yankee Stadium. There's still people who believe that he didn't and people who believe that he did. In any case, he hit titanic home runs uh, of the kind that only a handful of people in baseball history have ever clouded in terms of distance. But as I said, he also hit them frequently. He was one of the most prolific home run hitters as well as one of the strongest. And he also hit for high batting average, which some of the great sluggers did not hit for an exceptionally high average. He did as well as Babe Ruth. Um, many people call Josh Gibson the black Babe Ruth. Some people say Babe Ruth is the white Josh Gibson. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great point because that, well, I mean, what, 800-plus home runs in career? Yeah, that uh, number is, again, it's hard to track down. The stats for New Eagle Leagues are not complete, but he's generally credited with hitting more than 800, sometimes more than 900 home runs. That would be against all opposition, which would include some fair amount of games against non-league teams, some of which were very good, some of which weren't. Um, you know, it's wonderful because this work brings it brings the baseball fans into the opera house and totally. it brings totally. it brings the opera singers into the baseball stadium. You know what happened in Pittsburgh? Tell us. There were a few pirates in the uh, audience. Well, no, I ain't going to say audience. On the stage. On with the stage. Us. In the grandstand. Yes. Watching. That's they were fantastic. in the grandstand, and they were a part of the the chorus members. Uh, the oh gosh, what was it? I think it was the the scene where they were in Mexico, and they were just dancing. <laughs> so I hope they do that here we'll have to and see bring if we got bring the some tigers. tigers. To do that. Yeah. And on that one as well. But you hear that, Tigers? Yeah, Tigers. Gotta, get in on it. <laughs> one way you can show up the Pirates. The bright colors, the mariachi band, the the dancing, and uh, that's that's cool. Um, then there's my favorite, and that's the Sam Bankhead aria uh, by uh, Kenneth Kellogg. Sings it so wonderfully. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the opera should end right there. <laughs> After he sings that Ariasa, okay, curtain down. You know, it's that powerful. It's definitely that powerful when he sings about his best friend. This is, this is uh, Sam Bankhead was Josh Gibson's best friend, also a, a member of the Pittsburgh Grays. Mm-hmm. He was a member of several Negro League teams. He also played in the white minor leagues and is was the first African-American to manage a white team when he managed an independent white minor league team in Canada in the late 40s. Sam had another was another tragic story. He was tremendously talented. Mm. Uh, although had a temper, and um, he ended up working as a sanitation engineer, as they say, a garbage collector in Pittsburgh after his career, which was regrettably not uncommon. A lot of these great ball players, imagine seeing 
Mickey Mantle um, picking up garbage on, behind a city truck. Mm-hmm. Imagine seeing Wooly Mays, you know, working, driving a taxi after their careers were over. These are the kinds of careers that the greatest Negro League players typically had. Turkey Stearns, yeah. one of my heroes, worked for 27 years at the Ford Rouge plant after his career in the Negro Leagues. And he didn't work one of the jobs on the line. He worked in the foundry, which was one of the most dangerous and certainly one of the most unpleasant jobs in the factory. And he never got out of the foundry, which was unfortunately the fate of many African-Americans. They were given jobs in the foundry and the paint shop, which were the most disagreeable, dirty, sweaty, and dangerous jobs in the factory. Turkey worked for 27 years at the Rouge plant. He's one of the greatest ball players ever, one of the greatest ball players in Detroit history. I mean, it just, of course, there are many white ball players, including some great ones who ended up broke, ended up on hard times, ended up struggling to make ends meet, but not like this. It, it, the best kind of jobs the ex Negro League players would have would be if they got a job in the post office, a civil service job, or they got a job working in a school district. Typically, they were janitors or um, some sort of uh, menial service person. Those are the best jobs I had, uh, most of them. The Negro Leagues in general are a great story because it is both tragic and heroic at the same time. Maybe the mm-hmm. best tragedies are about heroes. The Negro League players did not get a chance to play when they were in their prime, most of them. Many of the greatest Negro Leaguers were considered too old to be taken by the white major leagues after in- integration. So many of them played their days out in the white minor leagues, even though they were beating the crap out of the white minor leaguers, some of whom were young enough to be their sons, but they never got a chance to play in the major leagues. Um, Jackie Robinson's story is well-known, well-told, and still even more impressive than you think because it's almost impossible for us, especially white people, to imagine the kind of discrimination and hatred and pressure he was under. And people in the civil rights movement in the 60s and maybe in the 50s as well talked about how important it was to the civil rights movement to have Jack Robinson integrate, reintegrate Major League Baseball. Baseball was far more important as a sport then than it is now. It was incredibly important to see African-Americans on the field with white players and playing as well or better than them. So the history of the Negro Leagues is a great story. It leads into the history of the integration of baseball, which is also a great story that is directly relevant to the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. And it's something that has been partially forgotten and should be told again and again and again. What I'm getting from both of you very strongly is that this is a a deeply human story. Mm -hmm. You know, opera is oftentimes really engaged with high-flown dramas that seem like they're just otherworldly and unattainable. And if they're not about generals and, you know, great military figures of the past, then they're kind of about these, you know, these tragic endings. And while this is a tragic ending, I think that we really get to bask in the glory of what was Josh Gibson's, you know, kind of ascendant career mm-hmm. and, and what it could have meant had it lasted just a little bit longer. And so, Jackie, from your own perspective, how does the Summer King go about redressing this issue of underrepresentation of minority stories in opera that has really been unchallenged until very recent past? 
Yeah, very recent past. I've, I was thinking about all of the minority stories that's been told. I think we could come up uh, on one hand. Maybe. Summer King, champion. Champion, king, like Martin Luther King. Uh, but with this particular story, like he was saying, it would be great to see our next generation, to see them... Uh, see multiculturally uh, just so many cultures on stage I mean just the the stories being told of how Josh Gibson came up how he just became known in his community and this is something I think that we should all learn you know this is a part of our history and it's and I'm grateful to be a part of this this uh, project Thank you so much to our two guests for joining us today here in the studios. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you, Gary. We would like to thank the composer Daniel Sonnenberg and Pittsburgh Opera for allowing us to use their recording from the premiere of The Summer King in April of 2017. You heard Alfred Walker as Josh Gibson, Jacqueline Eccles as Helen Gibson, and Kenneth Kellogg as Sam Bankhead. Before we end, I want to share some exciting news. As part of Michigan Opera Theater's Take Me Out to the Opera community program initiative around the Summer King, we have created I2 Sing America for performance in local public schools. I2 Sing America celebrates African-American artists and athletes throughout our history. Through live music, poetry, narrative, and video, this innovative performance highlights the stories and achievements of African-American artists and athletes individuals who defied limitations and paved the way for integration in their fields. I'm Austin Stewart for Michigan Opera Theatre. Our great thanks go to WDET and our producer, Jake Neer, all of the community programs and education staff members at Michigan Opera Theatre. We're looking forward to seeing you at Michigan Opera Theatre for Daniel Sonnenberg's opera The Summer King on the Life and Times of Josh Gibson, being performed at the Detroit Opera House May 12th through May 20th, 2018. We'll see you at the opera. Mm -hmm.